0: Yeah, 100%. uh, Maybe I used it in the sense of the bit wrong, you know, but uh, I think... No, uh, no,
1: no. Spot on, spot uh, on.
0: uh, He'll love being called a maverick. (laughs) (laughs) Probably call me goose after this interview, but uh, like I said... um... House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game
1: Changed.
2: Hello and welcome along to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe together with Guinness. I'm Emer Constine and I'm joined remotely today by Ian Madigan. We are both jointly excited to welcome Ian's Ulster teammate and Springbok with 30 caps, Marcel Coutier. Marcel, welcome on to the show today.
0: Oh, Thank you very much for hosting me, man. It's always an honour and a pleasure to chat with my man, Ian. And uh, yeah, no, it'd be great to be, have some rugby stories around the table tonight.
1: I can't wait to hear. Absolutely, it's great to have you on, Marcel. Yeah, no, it's going to be uh, good. Obviously, disappointing loss for us at the weekend, but um, we'll, we'll we'll be sure to talk about that and your experiences with the South African rugby team and coming back from injuries and and um, yeah, no, it'll be a good show. Looking forward to it.
2: How did he manage to get you on? What, what bribe has he over you that you you managed to come on the show here tonight? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well I think his timing was um very, very good actually. You know, I just got concussed and then right after the concussion he asked me, Do I wanna be on the show? You know, so I just thought, you know, yeah, well um I'll probably not play this weekend. So no, we'll definitely have time. But yeah, no, look um he's always uh um sent me links through and it was great always listening to House of Rugby the podcast, you know. And I saw you guys at Skolberg on, which was also great. To see him and how he's doing with life after rugby and yeah no it's just from my side a huge honor and a privilege to be invited man
2: um so basically you're saying that Ian caught you while you weren't thinking straight with the concussion is what is what you basically have said in a roundabout way
0: Sign the contract, sign the contract. Yeah, no, basically. No, no, well, look, um, the symptoms is is going well so far. So once you started thinking clearly, you think, yeah, no, this could be really fun. So no, don't worry about it.
2: Yeah. How's your turn
0: to play coming on? Yeah. Well, um, I think uh, this week, going into this week, um, we'll take the necessary steps. You know, the return of protocol story with the HIA, you know, so if that all goes well, then hopefully you'll, you'll be ready to be in the mix again, you know. Like, uh, it's, it's tough watching the boys play and you're not involved, you know. So, no, you're definitely hungry to get out there. But safety as what well comes first, and you just need to make sure you're 100% instead state of a 50-50 Then now.
2: Yeah, we were chatting a lot about that last week. But, um Marcel, I was doing some analysis or some, some research on you before, before you came on in today, and I've never met somebody who has the exact same birthday as me
0: oh wow <laughs> yeah if, if uh, everything is no, right well,
2: if everything is correct online the 8th of may 1991 is that right
0: that's correct yeah yeah that's correct yeah no all three was born in 91 how good
1: <laughs>
2: are we oh my god such babies although i was going to say that but we're th- all 30 next year so we'll be lying very soon uh,
0: yeah, that's been hanging over my head a bit. Uh, you know, you always said, you always, when you started playing, you considered guys turning 30, old players, you know, but uh, nowadays you call them experienced players. Uh, so now I'll go for that one then. <laughs> yeah.
1: We've got to be more strategic, how we speak about our age going forward.
2: I know, absolutely start lying on the programmes on the team sheets. Um, Anyway, we're going to get stuck into that more in part two, and we'll chat about your future hopes with South Africa and and all things Ulster in a little bit. But um, we're going to start off with our Guinness House of Rugby Hall of Fame. So this week, ahead of the Champions or after the Champions Cup um, games, and there was lots of exciting games there this weekend, we asked you on our Twitter and our Facebook pages to talk about your highlight of the weekend. And I am delighted as a Munster woman that Len Carmody and Shane Cook both shared great images of CJ Stander smiling at the Claremont boys as Munster won another great penalty. So I'm sure you guys saw that on Twitter over the weekend, the, the, Munster, the, the picture of CJ smiling. That must be awful for an opposition team when like, he's getting into your head doing that. Ian, what do you think?
1: Was that CJ? Was that the one of them in the mall? And he was kind of smiling. Yeah. yeah. Like, I've been, mean, I've spoken to Marcel about, a bit about this. I'd love to be getting involved in a few more malls because like, they just look very enjoyable. <laughs> like, you know, for the backs, we're out there running around, doing all like passing. It's difficult. You're working your core, you're out in the elements. I look over at the forwards and they're all snug, you know, pushing against each other. It just looks enjoyable. It goes well. Everyone's there, ass tapping each other afterwards. Mark, like, look at CJ's face there. He's loving every bit of it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, enjoyable when it goes well. <laughs> eh? But if it doesn't going well, then it's another expression you can give, you know. So, uh no, Ian, look, uh, I'll always back you, my man, but um no, not this time. I'm sorry. I know you do your job very, very well. Let's keep it at that. Eh? <laughs>
1: every so often you hear the lads going yeah but you're you're in there and there's people stepping on your toes it's like oh god here we go
2: i have absolutely no idea (laughs) i'd be the person at the back of the scrum when if, if someone needed like an extra flanker if someone happened to go off and you needed a flanker i don't think i'd even know where to like put hands like i would be that person that there would be like highlight reels actually made of of how awful I would be even in a mall wouldn't even know how to join a mall so maybe 2021 might be the year in for the two of us to start joining up those malls
1: maybe maybe get us on the back of it (laughs) dotting the ball down for the try
2: anyway we'll we'll stop talking about malls and we will mention the Munster win at the weekend against Claremont I think as a Munster supporter as a Munster player um, I'm still living on the high of of that game at the weekend did um, I'm sure you've heard the hype of the game. They were very, very slow to start. They were down quite a bit, 28 9 at half time, and managed to to pull it back in typical Munster fashion.
1: Yeah, it was incredible. You know, it was, it was really tough going behind, away from home, and. Um, I think it's another example as well of like not to take away from the achievement. It's obviously fantastic, but, you know, with supporters not in the stadiums, we are definitely seeing more teams winning away from home in the competition than we usually would. Um, but, you know, when when you're away from home and, and things aren't going to plan initially, to still be able to stick to your plan like they did and, and just slowly get yourself back into the game, build your momentum and then, you know, Quite often we see in sport when a team comes back from a big deficit and, you know, draws or goes ahead, they almost mentally switch off. And what was re- what I found really impressive was when they got back to kind of level par or, or snuck their heads in front, they had the kind of mental aptitude to, to, you know, finish it off. And that was really, really impressive. And, you know, ensuring that Clermont only got one bonus point. What did you think of it, Mars?
0: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of... Um tactics that um, was implemented on the day, you know, but ultimately for me, being behind with that margin, it just tells you about the team culture, you know, what what they were willing to do for each other to come back in that game, you know, and it's little moments like CJ hauling a guy up, forcing a penalty, you know, you take that last try with the malls, just worked out for them, you know, that's a time where the team comes together and say, listen, this is a big moment, let's execute, you know, and bang on, you know, they were, they 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 were accurate in their play and stuff and it's brilliant, you know, for an Irish of view, a province point of view, yeah.
2: I've been chatting during the week to a few, um, a few of the girls in the rugby team, and they said obviously they got such a slow start against Harlequins last week, and that the same thing couldn't happen away to, to Claremont. You know, I know there's no stadium and no crowd in the stadiums, but it's still not an easy place to get a win. I don't think they've ever actually got a win over there. But here we go again, a very slow start. But JJ Hanrahan was superb from the tee, you know, he's done it so many times, but. It just showed the patience and the ability to stick to the game plan and just not to panic. That's keep taking away the scoreboard. And eventually Mike Haley got that try, a really good pass from Peter O'Mahony as well to, to set him into space there. But, you know, it was just the patience that Munster showed to claw back. And they weren't panicking and kicking to the corner and going to try and, you know, get try after try. They were just being patient and, and kicking to post, which, which really showed the character of the team and the Munster boys.
1: Yeah, certainly, you know, definitely signs of the Munster of old and, you know, they're well positioned now, two wins from two and away win on the road and it bodes well for them going into the, the kind of return fixtures in January.
2: I think the, the Munster boys as well, the young guys that came on, like there was quite a few substitutions made for a finish, but you know, um, O'Brien coming on and getting the try and even Jack O'Donoghue coming on and the impact that they've made and Witcherly starting. So I think we've spoken so often about the Leinster boys and that they have the young guys coming through and I think we're finally seeing the homegrown talent that the Munster boys are, are making and I, as a, a Munster woman, am very, very um, proud of that. But we'll move over to your game. This is the second week, Ian, that we're chatting about a disappointing loss. How are you feeling after the weekend?
1: Yeah, certainly, it's it's disappointing for us. You know, we we could um, we could definitely be sitting on ten points. You know, it, it wasn't unconceivable for us to score you know a late try against Toulouse last week, and that would have been five points. And then we already had the bonus point against Gloucester, and unfortunately, let the game slip away late on. Um, you know, credit credit where credit's due to Gloucester. You know, they 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 played really well on the day. They built up a lead allowed us back into the game and you know I thought we played some brilliant rugby in in um you know the the second part of the or sorry you know the middle 20 minutes of the second half you know we'd gone 14 points down we'd appeared in the in the first half where we only had 13 men and they came out scored a good try and we you know still stuck to our plan and got ourselves back into the game and even watching it I kind of sensed there wasn't any real panic when we were 14 points down with about a half an hour to go and we had some great passages of plays, um, scored some really good tries, and ultimately built up a lead only for to to lose it in the you know the last probably the last play of the game, which was which was disappointing for us. And um, I think at this level, you know, at the at that high European level, any mistakes are really showing up, and um, the, the 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 small number of mistakes we've made over the last two weekends have been have been really costly. You know, what do what do you think, Mars?
0: Yeah, you know, it's always easy to speak if you don't play, you know what I'm saying, you know, but I think in the thick of things, you know, I think first of all, the guys did very, very well do, um, you know, obviously discipline didn't go away with the two yellow cards, you know, and uh, to manage not give a points in that period, you know, was brilliant for me from the side, you know, it shows about our own culture we have in the team and, um, you know, and managed to fight back, you know, um, after the rain set and I saw at halftime, you know, I thought, oosh, this will be tough to get back, you know, because you know the game kind of slows down, you have to rely on moments and such, you know. But you know, God, better John Cooney magic as well from the team, you know, the good um continuity play with each other manage to score another try. So, no, yes, um, with 10 points up, I really felt very comfortable, you know, um, in the game that you know this can go our way, you know. And um, it's like you said, Ian, you know, you can't. You can't afford to have soft moments, you know. Even the seventy-eight minute, you know, there was a knock, and then it was a scrum penalty, and then you know, it just kind of leads to um, pressure being built on you. We got, we got a yellow again, you know. So, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing we take out of the game is we have to look hard at our discipline. You know, it's like you say, we cannot afford to give it away at that level, you know. And it kind of punished us towards the end. But you know, in general, I would just say, um, you know, it's it's one we have to take on the chin, and we'll just have to reassess and just hit the reset button. Eh?
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. It's it's the kind of compounding of errors, and as you said, the discipline. But you know, similar to what you were saying, Emer, about um, you know the positives with Munster, like we've seen, they've gone eight from eight in the league, and now two from two in Europe, and it's it's been great that they've stuck by some of the guys who've who've been performing for them in the league, in the Guinness Pro Fourteen, and. It's it's very similar for us, you know. We've had guys like James Hume stepping up and and you know proving himself at, at European level again this year. You know, Mike Larry, I thought was fantastic at the weekend. Um, Ethan McIlroy coming off the bench, you know, he's he's shown what what he can do in 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 the Guinness Pro Fourteen. So it is there are lots of puzzles for us to take, and you know, unfortunately at the moment there's we've a lot of injuries in our squad. You know, the likes of Ian Henderson's out at the moment. Jack McGrath. Um, a few guys that were unavailable through head knocks from the, from the previous week, like Marcel and Sam. And then obviously Kieran Treadwell's been out, um, you know, so, um, whatever with it, with a band. So, you know, there's a lot of guys who are close to coming back and, you know, for us, we're going to scramble for every point in, in Europe. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. You know, we've got Gloucester at home and then we've got to go away to Toulouse. And, you know, we, we believe that we can win those two games Mm -hmm. and if, if that means we can sneak into the quarterfinals of the Champions Cup, great. But if it means we're dropping down into the Challenge Cup, I think that, that would be um, a fantastic competition for for us to go after as a team. And, you know, you kind of reset your goals um, off the back of disappointing defeats. But there is plenty of positives for us to take.
2: Absolutely. And you'd be focusing, I suppose, Europe is, out, is just in the back of your minds at the moment. And those Interpro games over Christmas, you've got kind of... T- Next weekend, Marcel, do you think that you will be fit and able and hopefully selected for that game?
0: Yes, it will be awesome, you know, um, just to join the boys again, you know. But, uh, you know, there are are certain protocols that we need to follow before I can give a definite answer, you know. But, um, uh, you know, I am hopeful. But, uh, yeah, you know, it just depends on a day-by-day basis, you know, um, with a you feel the symptoms again or not doing some exercises, you know. But uh, yes, you know, I'm myself, I really look forward to it now.
2: Yeah, there's been quite a few, Ian, you said about the injuries, like not just head knocks, but there's been quite a few injuries in general, not just in the Ulster team, but in Leinster too, we saw the two boys pull out prior to the game even starting. But is it down to the schedule in this year or you know the amount of games that you've had to play or are they just do you think there's a is there a link between the the amount of games or is it just by chance that these injuries have been happening
1: yeah there's there's definitely an element of luck or bad luck you know with, with every injury you know it's it's hard to say, oh look, unless it's a really a muscle tear that's coming from fatigue that, that you can look at it and go oh that's caused from just playing too many games or training too much but I think if you look back over the last period um you know last the end of last season you know the four five six games that just rolled into this year so like while we've played 10 games this season it, it it really is 15 or 16 games um and there hasn't been too many breaks within it and then as well for a large part of the Irish guys who are involved with the international setup there's been far more international games so it has been a you know a challenging week-to-week schedule for a lot of the players and um I know at this time, you know, guys probably have haven't been doing as much weights and as conditioning as they would usually. So the body's probably feeling a bit fatigued. But look, the way the schedule is, you've just got to pull your sleeves up and, and keep going. You know, we're we're coming into three crucial interpro games for us, um, which are you know effectively Irish trials. Now I don't know how many. Of the internationals who played in the Auto Nations Cup will be playing I'm sure they'll be rested for maybe one or, or, or two of those games but look there there's no better opportunity for guys to put their hand up for, for national selection to, to be playing in those so you know while there might be a bit of fatigue there's also great excitement and you know there's always great viewership I know we're not going to have the supporters in the stands over the Christmas and festive period but I'm sure they'll be watching from at home and um, the players will be fully aware of that
2: I know as a supporter, I always look forward to the Interpro games. You know, they're always such high quality rugby and I'm sure this year won't be any different because, you know, as you said, players are up for selection, essentially. Um, but John Cooney is one that, you know, has been playing phenomenally. You know, There was an incident at the weekend that a lot of people were talking about. Um, he went to take a conversion and the ball fell off the tee and then he ended up not being able to take it. So as a 10, can you talk through... Well, one the rules around that, and two, well, what could have happened, or what should he have done differently?
1: Yeah, so there there is actually a few different rules with it. So, for example, if you're taking a conversion after scoring a try, um, and the ball falls off the tee before you started your run up, you're allowed to replace the ball and still take the kick. If you have started your run up and the ball falls off the tee, you then have to pick it up and effectively do a drop kick with it. Um, What's different with that? With a penalty. Uh, kick to touch or to to, at goal if the ball falls off the tee and you haven't started your run-up you can replace the ball and kick it if the ball falls off the tee and you have started your run-up you're still allowed to replace the ball and kick it again providing you're still within the minute so you have a minute to kick the ball for a penalty so what actually happened with John at the weekend was his minute was effectively just up when the ball fell off the tee so the ref is deemed he's used the time and he hadn't kicked the ball so it's a scrum down to the opposition so it was bad luck but I think what happened there was because we had the two guys in the sin bin he was trying to get every second out of you know Um, out of the clock before they came back on so it was something that he can't be blamed for but it was just very very unlucky and very unusual that the ball held on for that long and then fell off just before he kicked it but that's how the you would say he
0: planned it though he would say <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. he'd be like don't that that kick does not count in my stats that's what he'll be saying
0: <laughs> I'll just follow the rules coach
2: he was probably told slow it down and this is what happened now he's got everyone talking about him but at least he made up for it with the, the amazing try that he got out on the edge then for a finish you know he, he managed to redeem yeah, himself
1: sure. John was fantastic again you know he's a he's an absolute joy to play with and um, I thought yeah, he had some fantastic goal kicks yesterday in really kind of windy conditions. Obviously, that was unfortunate the ball falling off the tee. And then he, he nearly does it every game for us, Morris. You know, he comes up with a big moment. There's nothing really on. Ball spills out of the rook. He's just opportunistic. Like he's, he just makes his own look. Yeah. That's John. But like he does that, he does that stuff in training all the time, doesn't he?
0: I think just he's a player that backs himself, so, you know. He's uh, mm. he's one of those guys, you know, like a maverick in the team, you know. He can pull something out of nothing, you know. And he, you need that player in your team when the games are tight and crunchy. You need a bit of X-Factor moment. I always think of that Clemont moment in last year's European game where we were so tight and everything and all of a sudden he just creates something with incredible skill set that he has, you know, and um, you know, look, it's like you say, it's enjoyment to play with the man, you know, I'm off the field as yeah. well. He's a great guy, always makes time for you, never too busy. And uh, he, I think people underestimate the big work ethic that he has, you know, he's always working on this or that, you know, and he's really, like I said, a very confident player in himself, you know, and it's just great for him to see doing well, particularly yesterday. When it was also, you know, a bit of tightness and a bit of crunch time, there there Kuni does his moment, you know, and you just need those players on the field, definitely.
1: Well, you say he's a bit of a a maverick. Um, You know, there's no one more passionate about the team and wanting the team to win. You know, it's not like he wants to do it for himself or anything like that. Like, John's one of the best team players I've come across, you know, and um, I think part of what makes him great is his ability to kind of spot those opportunities and, and back himself to go after them.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, maybe I used that in the sense of the bit wrong, you know, but uh, I think… No, uh, no, no. Spot on, spot on. He love no, L- yeah, L- yeah, L- 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 being called a maverick. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably call me goose after this interview. But uh, like I said, um, you know, the, the thing is with him, you know, whatever he does, I think we as a team just back whatever he does, you know, because if he's do- choosing to do something, you know, it's, it's a react phase for a player just to make it work for him, you know. And, yeah, I man, it's just, you know, there was one of those times I'd rather play with him than against him now.
2: For sure, and it hasn't been easy for him either, with the disappointment of not getting selected again for the the Guinness Six Nations this season, you know, and to come back and he could have gone two ways, like anyone could have done, you know, it would be easy just to wallow and and be feel sorry for yourself, but he's come back and he has just absolutely proved that he is well capable, and he's done it in every game, and he's been consistently one of Ulster's best players for the last for the last season or season or two, and has and has proved it day in day out. Um, so hopefully he'll get a he'll get a look in into next year's Guinness Six Nations and the Irish squad. Um, looking back at the weekend's games as well, Leinster were playing. Before the game, there was two injuries um, before it even started, which is really st- strange. So Caelan Doris pulled out and also Harry Burns pulled out on his first European um, start. So obviously two changes to the Leinster squad ahead. And we just spoke about the injuries. I don't know, was it a knock or what? Was it soft tissue damage? But, you know, um, Leinster still managed to pull away and get that win, you know, 35-19. Northampton were in the game for quite a bit of it, but Leinster managed to pull away in typical Leinster fashion, as they always do. Um, Marcel or Ian, did you guys catch that game?
0: Unfortunately, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to
1: know, just like, so people like see, you know, players getting injured in the warm-up. It's something we've probably seen a bit more in the last couple of years, but um. I think it's important for supporters to 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 know that like the warm up it's not like guys going out and doing a light jog and and a bit of stretching like it's it's full on guys are going as hard as they would in the game now not necessarily body on body but you're you know you're running flat out you're hitting pads flat out um there's bodies going everywhere you know it's it's not inconceivable that guys collide or an ankle could be rolled um So yeah, like, while it it was surprising to see them pulling out late, it's, it's understandable to see how it could happen. Um, I think one of the interesting points that came out from that Leinster game was the, the clear out on, on Josh, Josh van der Flyer. I thought they've definitely missed a trick there, you know, with all that's going on. I think that's something as, as a player, I, I I think it should be a straight red card. I think that the person clearing out needs to have um his his wear it all about him and, and if if he if a shoulder does connect with his head, he's gotta take responsibility for it and and deal with the consequences of it. Um so I think there just needs to be more black and white on the rules, whether you're clearing out, whether you're a tackler, whether you're a ball carrier leading with the elbow, as players, we need to, you know, realize that if you break those rules, you're gonna be red carded.
2: Yeah, I think um it was funny that the TMO Discussed with the referee, you know, do you want to take a second look at that? And the TMO was really, you know, Are you sure you don't want to just take another look at that one? Like he was almost pushing it, but I suppose the the referee has the final decision in it. But majority of people from chatting, um, it was a definite red card. Like Van der Fleer was very lucky not to come away injured after that. You know, direct blow, shoulder to the head, didn't drop his body height, direct, like shoulder to the head in any other game, and we've seen it happen in the past is a red card and a very, very clear red card. You know, you're not gonna see something as clear cut as that again. And hope well, I hope we don't see something as clear cut as that again. And maybe in future it will be refed properly.
1: Yeah, certainly. I like I know we I've seen it in the NRL, Marcel, with um, you know, the rugby league in, in Australia. So you can each team gets one challenge in a game. And um I think it's a fine balance. We don't want players going up, appealing to the ref, oh, check this in the TMO, check that in the TMO. It kind of takes from the, the flow of the game a bit. But I think if, if each team had you know one challenge that they could make and if the challenge is successful, they hold on to their challenge, for the likes of dangerous play or in the act of scoring to be able to say, look, I saw this. You know, the referees can't spot everything. Same with the touch judges. You know, I've, I'm very sympathetic towards them. It's a really, really tough job. And, you know, it's it's easy to look back on something in slow motion and say, oh, they should have spotted this. They should have spotted that. It's a, an extremely tough job. And while they're doing it, they've got to ensure that they're getting out of the way, the players. But I, I definitely think there can be more structure put around how the TMO is used and, you know, players requesting for stuff to get checked. I don't know what you, if you have any thoughts on that, Marcy.
0: Yeah, you know, um just uh, in terms of the breakout cleanup and stuff, you know, it's a uh, look, it's a fine margin, you know, you no know, regular contact sport, you know, we want to get as physical as possible, you know. That's one of the reasons I love playing the game, you know, is the physicality of it. But uh like you like you said, you know, there are rules and there are things you cannot do. We, we, before the season started, we got addressed by the breakdown law, you know, saying, listen, you can't dive anymore. You can't be reckless using your head and stuff. You know, we, we have to change your technical tactics, how you approach the breakdowns, you know. And it sort of looked like the refs were kind of strict on it the first couple of games, you know, but um, a lot of penalties um, was arising around the breakdown, you know. So, I wonder if maybe um it depends on the ref probably on the day, you know, but it just uh, whether the consistency is the big thing, you know. You want to you, you want to play tough, but you want to be safe as well, you know. Um, not if you're playing against Munster or any of those too, but uh, like, uh, like, I, like, I, like I said, you know, um, you know, it's going to be personal in a few weeks, you know. so uh, But, yeah, you know, look, as a player, you know, I think the safety is very, very important, you know. And uh, if you have the resources like the TMOs, if you have touch judges… I can lend a hand you know just more eyes with you also can see you know like you said they're also human beings so they're not always going to get it right you know um, some calls over the weekend as well you kind of frown upon but you know that, that's why the assistants are there you know so make use of it
2: absolutely agreed so hopefully um, we won't see too much of that against the in a few weeks time um, <laughs> lots of aggression lots of hard hits but hopefully none of that no, no red carries, hopefully for you Marcel <laughs> Um, no, as, no, no, no. as we're recording Connacht are currently playing in the sports grounds against Ian's own old side Bristol Bears so we'll, um, we'll keep in touch with how, how that game is getting on um, that's it for part one we'll be back with part two with all things Marcel Cotier
1: if you haven't already done so click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show
2: Marcel Costier arrived at Ulster in summer of 2016 and showed early on what he was capable of. Any progress was ruined, though, however, by serious knee injuries. He had back-to-back ACLs that saw him miss chunks of two seasons with Ulster. However, from 2018 on, Marcel demonstrated his undoubted class and, along with John Cooney, has been Ulster's best player these past few seasons. What an intro, Marcel. Um, before we get into your time yeah, well, in no, Ireland, you've no,
0: about that last one, uh, but uh, yeah, no, <laughs> thanks for that one. Uh, that's a warming welcome.
2: <laughs> no problem. Before we get onto your season with Ulster, all your seasons with Ulster and your time here in Ireland, can you just tell us about your life growing up in your hometown of Portstewart? <laughs>
0: Yeah. So, um, I was born in Port of Strum, you know, and then just before I went to school, I moved to the province, KwaZulu Natal. Yeah. Which is, um, um, basically grew up on a sugarcane farm plantation just south of Durban, you know, and, um, yeah, which was fun. You know, you had a bit of the farm life and then also the beach was nine kilometers away from you, you know, so you better have had the best of both worlds, basically, you know, and, um, yeah, it was just enjoyed it, you know, um, just uh, the friends that you meet along the way. And then high school, you back, You went to Durban. Uh, high school, Port Natal. And you enrolled in the Sharks Academy. And then, yes, you know, just your dream came alive.
2: It just seems that anyone who's from South Africa, just rugby is part of their life. Like anyone I've been chatting to in the show or anyone in, in the past, it just seems like it's almost a, a pathway that it's inevitable that someone from South Africa goes in that direction.
0: Yeah, I know. I think it's kind of installed in our brains very, very young, you know. The first tour I had was probably a rugby ball that my father kind of forced, and my mom was just, uh, let him be, <laughs> he'll choose, you know. But uh, look, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a culture we are very, very proud of. We are South Africans, you know. We do uh, treasure rugby very highly in our country, you know. It's always personal, and it's, uh, it's just a great, um, I think uh, – set up for everyone just to come together over weekends you know you invite your friends you invite your family relatives you make a big thing out of it you know you get the bries going you get your beers as well and you just enjoy the 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 vibe and the culture that it represents you know and um, for me growing up in south africa you know um how special wasn't it you know to be involved in a country which is so um big on the rugby and also the passion behind the spring box you know which has done. Um, justice for itself around the world by competing competitions, world cups, and just series. Yeah,
1: Morris. Um, obviously, I'd heard a lot about you and seeing you playing before I was uh, lucky enough to join the Ulster squad. But for me, the you know the biggest thing that stood out for me is you know the high energy you bring every day. Like obviously, you're bringing it at the weekend, week in, week out and, and putting in big performances. But for me, it's, it's it's how you conduct yourself during the week that, you know, the high energy you're pumping guys, tires up, you're bringing, you know, bringing the, the physicality to training. Is that something that you've always kind of prided yourself on, you know, through school and through the academies?
0: Uh, to be honest, uh, not really. No, it, t- it takes a guy for you to, you know, to advise it and see, listen, that's what you kind of bring into the week, you know, but I think in, and anything in life, if you enjoy what you're doing and you're passionate about it, you can't help to get energy from the guys that you work with and you just want to contribute as much as you can building up into a big game week. You know, it's uh, you know, uh, it's probably my biggest energy giver is rugby. You know, yeah, I enjoy it a lot, you know, and taking the injuries that I had in the past, you know, you kind of – I think the biggest thing is you shouldn't take it for granted. You know, every moment we go on the field, you know, we don't know if it's going to be – uh taken away from us and such. And in the case for me, I had a bit of bad luck coming over the first two years. And I think in that period, I just realized, listen, take every game and just enjoy it, you know, because, uh, you know, our career span is so so short, actually, if you take it, you know, and you must just make every moment count and just enjoy every minute, eh? Yeah, absolutely.
1: How
2: hard, Marcel, was it coming over and, you know, trying to make a name for yourself in a pro- province in a new country and a new team, and then to do one ACL? And then come back and then do the second one. Like, it's, an, it's a nine-month injury. Like, it's, how long did it take you to come back from either one of those? And did you learn from the from the first one when you did the second one, like the rehab was the same or was it a completely different injury all over again?
0: Yeah, it was really tough. Uh, I think if um, for any player that um, does an ACL, or long term injury, you know, it is it is really tough. You know, the road can be lonely at times, especially rehabbing. You know, but just coming over with the injury, you know, you already had a uh, kind of setback. You know, because um, I think the biggest thing as you go to a new club, you want to establish yourself quite early. You know, you want to show the fans, you want to show what you're capable of because they're investing in you. You know, and uh, I think um, the biggest frustration for me personally was just that two years not being able to do that, you know, and you, uh, it's just sort of a burden hanging over your head. Cause, uh, I think my personal guilt felt within me, you know, although it wasn't your fault, you know, injuries happen. It's part of the game, you know, but it's, uh, I think it was just the inner guilt in me of, um, these guys doing all they can, you know, bring you over and investing so much in you and you can't really reward them for that, you know? And, uh, and when the time came, um just to answer your question, yeah, it was both um ACL injuries and also the meniscus that went. So it was basically three knee operations in two years, you know. So the road so the road didn't look too good for me at the moment, you know. And it was actually a big turning point, the second one, especially when the Ulster had to decide whether they're gonna renew my contract or not, because I only played a handful of games at that stage, you know. So you know, mentally it took its toll and, um, you know, um, a bit of bright light came when they said, no, listen, we're going to back you and we're going we're to go through with this and um, we'll see where it goes from there. And that just ultimately gave me the confidence saying, listen, well, hey, they, they're backing me. Let's do whatever I can just to get back and just to appreciate the game again and just give a bit of back for that uh, union that's backed me up.
1: Yeah, like when when your your contract was up, even after the two years, you know, you, you you'd still shown in the, in those you know five or six games that you would played, you know, you still showed that you'd, you'd still had it, and there was plenty of demand elsewhere, you know, and there was lucrative offers, you know, being thrown in from from French clubs that that were you know everyone was aware of them at the time. But I know from a player's perspective, and and also from the supporters uh, in Ulster, there's a huge amount of respect for you that you know you you said no, look, I'm I'm going to stay here and and um and show you guys what i've got did you did you feel off the back of the injuries did you feel like you you wanted to to kind of prove a point and 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 stay around was that one of one of
0: the factors yeah definitely i just felt at that stage you know it was a big decision for me and my wife to make at the time and i just looked at um, the options that was uh, presenting itself and it was just basically a no-brainer you know i mean uh you were sort of um, facing retirement, uh, staring at retirement, you know. And uh, these the the people of Ulster and the union at the time and the coaches, they just backed you, you know. And they said, listen, we're going to give you an opportunity still, despite all the odds, you know. And uh, that just really stuck at me, you know. It just shows me, you know, there, there are sometimes a bit of loyalty in the, in the game that we play. With the game going on professional, that was just a huge effect on me and it kind of made it a no-brainer at the end, you know, when the, another opportunity represents presented itself to renew your contract with Ulster, you know, it was just a oh, no-brainer, no you know. And, uh, yeah, it was an awesome experience so far, you know. Um, luckily, you weren't too much on the on the sideline with injuries now at the moment. You know, you could have given a bit of back, you know, and just enjoyed with the Oaks, you know. Because, Ian, yeah, as you know, you know, um, as you go to a new union, the only way you can prove yourself is uh, sharing the field, the battlefield with your comrades, you know. And that's when you really learn to get uh, understand each other, where, what he's, where he's from, his culture, what he represents. And it's just a... Uh, phenomenal feeling you
2: know. at the end of the day though it is a business sport is a business and Ulster obviously saw so much in you to to keep you on not just on the field you know you're like Ian is chatting to you there about it's not just the stuff on the field it's everything else it's your you're pumping guys up you're, you're getting them ready for the week ahead and it's a lot of stuff you know people notice that stuff off the field as well as well as on the field and that contributes to the, the team environment and obviously you're a very central part to that environment um, your main strengths are your ball carrying abilities You're, you clearly love the all, like unlike myself and Ian, and the breakdown <laughs> the carry the tackle area. what do you see are your main strengths as a as a player
0: yeah, I think um, you know every guy that, that plays rugby you know he 's got that something um, special that it brings to the game you know which makes him unique on the field. And I think, um, you know, for me personally, I just love the collisions of it. You know, Um, since I was a little boy, I just wanted to get the ball in my hand. I love to carry, um, just to be involved in the the game as much as possible. If you're not carrying, you want to defend, you know. And if um, it's a breakdown, you want to slow it down. You know, you just want to throw your whole body basically into the game because, yeah, there's no better feeling of just um, playing with your – with a bunch of guys that you really appreciate every day and, um, and manage to create big moments and, and maybe win a trophy now and then, you know, which would be nice. And, uh, yeah, no, it's just a blessing. I think, first of all, like I mentioned earlier, you know, you don't really know what you have until you lose it, basically. And for me, those two years uh, did a lot of reflection and just I uh, said to my next step, you know, whatever comes or how many minutes I get, you're just going to enjoy every minute and just live for the moment now.
1: Yeah, certainly. Like e- Emer touched on it there. You know, you're, you're probably the best ball carrier I've seen. You know, your ability to have late footwork at the you know at the contact line, the way you can swivel your hips, um, and you know you've one of the best f- fendoffs that I've seen, is, as Jamie Hesip knows well from from 2014. <laughs> um, but yeah, like what, what kind of what kind of work uh, Marcel do, do you put in during the week? You know, to prepare yourself for that kind of physical battle that you're going into at the weekend.
0: Yeah, I think as the game is growing uh, like um the game is just getting more physical, more quicker, you know, and I think a big um important factor we as players have to acknowledge, you know, is our prep going to the week, you know, being professional on what you do building up to a big game, you know. And I think um at the moment yet also we have a very good S&C team that really looks after you, you know, in terms of conditioning wise they they acknowledge your strength and your weakness and what you need to work on, you know. And for me basically um it's just um being consistent in whatever everything I do, whether it's in my power and the gym and the little bit of weightlifting and stuff, you know, sometimes the Monday, Tuesday, the body's still too sore to lift anything, and then you adapt from that, you know. So I think uh, it's so important to have a good communication between the medical staff that look after you, you know, and um, and to be professional about it. And uh, yeah, for me, um, you know, it's. Uh, it's a tough one because a lot of guys think if they invest too much time in gym, you know, then they're going to be the world's best players. It's not always the case, you know. I think it's uh, in terms of the mental edge that you also have to bring. You know, you know what's working for you individualistic, and um, not every player is the same. You know, some guys feel of that, some guys feel of just rocking up. You know, I remember, you know, hearing a lot of um, stories about Scott Berger as well. He we didn't love the gym at all, you know, for instance. <laughs> but you know, give that man a ball and he'll create havoc for you. You know, so yeah, it's just yeah, the yeah. personalities and. I can name a bunch of guys that i played with. Willem Olbert, you know, he's just a massive frame, big guy. And he didn't look... He wasn't the most conditioned guy, I would say, personally. But man, oh man, he rocked up and he just destroyed them.
2: Um, going forward with Ulster, you know, they've a really, really good Guinness Pro 14 so far. You know, obviously getting to the final last year, losing was disappointing. But, you know, Ulster have been proving really, really positive, And there's lots of good things happening up there. What are your hopes for... I suppose the inch pros over the over the Christmas period and moving into 2021.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing now, you know, obviously the last two results didn't go our favour, now. so I think the biggest thing now is just to create that confidence in the team again. You know, saying, listen. We're looking very good at the Pro um, um, 14 table at the moment, you know, let's let's make the most of it, you know, what's done is done, we can't really change that the past, even if we wanted to, but uh, I think the biggest thing now is just to get together as a squad, you know, um, setting ourselves our goals, you know, we've got big games like Ian mentioned now coming up into the new year and stuff, you know, and uh, we want to keep that continuity going in the Pro 14, so yeah look it will be a day-by-day um mantra basis you know just making sure we get the little things right which ultimately will lead to bigger things so um yeah just looking forward to the challenge that's uh presenting itself huh?
1: yeah just just talking about the guinness pro 14 there mars um there's obviously been a lot of talk about the south african teams potentially coming on board in 2021 um what are your thoughts on that and you know obviously you've you've been part of playing super rugby and the, the challenges that 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 proposes you know do you think it'd be a good option for the the super teams in south africa to join the, the guinness pro 14.
0: no absolutely uh, like um uh, earlier in my career i played super rugby you know and it was it's it's a great tournament you know you get to compete against the all blacks and australian players which they represent but one negative thing i could remember from playing in those days is just the traveling factor you know the time away from your family as well you know it's a month's tours at times you know and um and let's say you get to playoffs or semis in those stages you know it is kind of hard to travel with the with the time zones that you have to adapt and stuff you know and um i just find from my personal experience coming over abroad now and playing in the pro 14 you know it's just a it's a unique competition you know you get to compete against um, internationals every weekend whether it's from scotland wales or ireland you know it's just um great platform to um measure yourself and where you play you know if you take the european cup as well the top size of what the english and france produce as well you know and then um, you've seen a lot of players over the years that has come over and just developed into exceptional rugby players you know and uh, there's a lot of names you can mention you know but um, i think in terms of the south South of african dynamic you know i think um it will really be beneficial going forward you know it's a uh, small thing, you know, like I mentioned, but the travel will make a huge difference, you know, we're kind of in the same time elapsed as well. Uh, The rugby, I think the competition will make it a lot more um, competitive. Um, The the South African sides that are joining, you know, those are proud unions, you know, it's unfortunate that what happened to the Cheetos and Kings, you know, but the unions that are coming in will be great for the competition and uh, just bringing that competitive factor, X-Factor, you know.
2: Ian, do you think there'll be a change in format of the like Pro 16 now that there will be obviously 16 teams? And you know, will it will it be like what, what kind of format do you think they're gonna go with it?
1: Yeah, I, I think how it could work. So I, I think they'll go with the two conferences. So you'll probably have eight teams in each conference, so you'll have two South African teams in, in each one, and and similar to what we would have seen with the the Guinness Pro 14, you you'll go and play the two away games in a row. Um and you'll obviously be in South Africa for you know for two weeks or two and a half weeks off the back of that, um, and yeah, you know, vice versa. The um, when the South African teams come over to to Europe, I'm sure they'll they'll, they'll most likely stay for for a couple of weeks. I'm not 100 sure how they, how they did it in the past, but the good thing is you know we're on the same time zone. I think it's only a, you know an eight hour flight, which is which is doable if you're do if you're doing it. You wouldn't want to be doing it every second week. That's for sure. But I think if you're doing it for two games in a row, it actually provides a, a, a break in your own season. It's a change of environment, a potential change in climate, climate as well, which would be welcome, especially dealing with the weather we have up here. Um, so look, I think there's, there's lots of excitement from a, from a player's perspective, um, in, in Europe. So, you know, there's a lot of positives. And I, I think we've seen in, in in the, in the league this year, it, it hasn't been competitive enough. Um, you know, Leinster, Munster, Ulster—all eight from eight. Um, we need a more competitive league, you know, which will then transfer over to the Irish teams being even more competitive in Europe and being even more competitive internationally. You can't have too big a step from each of those tiers, and and there, there probably is that at the moment.
2: I think with the time difference as well, and Skalk a few weeks back mentioned about how like the fans are the biggest part of the rugby in South Africa. Um, it's like you live and breathe rugby. And with the time difference, with more games, with a lot of South African players playing in Irish teams and in the in the European teams in the Guinness Pro 14, there's already a keen interest in the Guinness Pro 14. I think this will be really good for the game and really good for the fans because it will make it one more competitive, but also... South African fans are probably one of the best in the world when it comes to supporting supporting rugby. So I think that's some really good positives going into the the new format of the Guinness Pro sixteen as it will be.
1: Yeah, I think even leading into the the Lions tour this summer, you know, if the if the Guinness Pro sixteen as it could be ran before that, I think it would create great excitement going into that Lions tour. Um, and I suppose on that, Mars, you know, I'm sure you've got great memories of the of the tour back in two thousand and nine and uh, tell us about your ambitions of of getting into that squad for the for the Lions tour this summer.
0: Yeah, well if you mentioned 2009, I was 18 years old um watching the um the the, the, the games that, that it took place and I could just remember the physicality of the of both sides you know particularly that second test up at Loftus uh jeez it was um it was really brutal um physical and brutal and everything you wanted as a spectator at the time you know you, it's, it's weird to think that was 12 years ago almost, you know, and um, now there's an opportunity to um, maybe uh, put your name maybe in the hat to get an opportunity to represent it, you know. So, um, yeah, look, um, there's, there's a huge hype in South Africa at the moment, you know, after the World Cup, you know, there was great um, happiness and joy all over the country, you know, and you saw, you, know, you kind of wonder… What's next now? And then you've got the Lions coming in two years' time. So, no, look, the whole South Africa is very excited about it. You know, we as players, I think every player at the moment, is just want to be consistent in these performance and just make, make a bit of noise maybe just to want to be a part of that mix. You know, like like you said, it, it only comes every 12 uh, years, you know. So, um, you know, I was uh, 18 at the time and then I'll probably be 30 if, they, uh, if, the, if the games take place, you know. I'm not going to say that too loud now, but uh, yeah, it's like <laughs> I said, um, yeah, no, 100%, you know. So, uh, no, look, uh, it's, it's, it's a spectacle and I think it's one of the greatest tournaments um, or series we can host on our soil. you know, is the Lions Tour.
2: Bring us back to the conversation that you had with Razi Rasmus ahead of the, in 2019, ahead of the Rugby World Cup
0: oh yeah um the, well so basically uh you know you sort of uh at the tournament where the season came to its end and uh we i went on holiday for three weeks in south africa uh, one of my favorite places is my guest i was there close to the kruger national park you know i um, kind of a big bush bushman. you know i enjoy that um side of south africa a lot you know and uh yeah i just didn't hear anything you know and you know it was two three weeks i was the day i was meant to fly back to belfast the next day um I actually got the phone call from um, Rossi, you know, and it was just so unexpectedly I had to report to camp on the Monday. And, yeah, you know, um, for not being in the in the team uh, for a while, you know, and stepping into that format and uh, meeting you, new meeting you guys and old mates like Gibbon and Peter Steffen, those guys, it was just great to see them again in that setup, you know. And you sort of kind of got the sense as you were there in the following days um something special was going to brew, huh?
2: Could you feel it from the start that there was, you know, the competition was there, the rivalry was there, the players were there um, from the very start of from joining the squad?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what, what, what phenomenal was from that, from being part of that week, you know, is the leadership that we had. You know, um, Rossi, uh, Jogh Ninobo, who's the head coach now at the moment and all the management and stuff, they abundantly made it clear. When we arrived there on the first day, listen, this is what they wanted to achieve, and they wanted to win the rugby championship, and then they wanted to go all the way to the World Cup, you know. So that kind of set the ball for a lot of players saying, "Listen, um, I'm not. There's no time really to waste here, you know. Um, you have to do your part in every opportunity you get to." represent your country, now you have to make the most out of it, you know. And um, I think what helped so well was everyone was on the same page, you know. Every um, Obviously, South Africa that uh, had a bit of a um, dip, you know, uh, years just before that, you know. I think the the first thing I sensed with all the players, you know, they were still carrying that hurt and that pain which they went through, you know. And they realized what the other side is from rugby as well. And I think that hunger and passion just showed – those coming weeks, building up to the World Cup, you know, through the championship and then ultimately led to the World Cup, you know. So there was just an uttermost desire to go all the way uh, together as a squad. Yeah,
1: there was there was no doubt that you were going to play a big part in that World Cup. Um, you know, when you got injured, did you know at the time, did you kind of have a bad feeling that you'd you done something serious that could, could have ruled you out?
0: Yeah, that was a bad one. Um, you know, it's like, just like I mentioned now, you know, the opportunity, I think the biggest thing that... Uh, that knocked me, you know, was the opportunity I was given to maybe uh, put your name onto Japan. You know, it wasn't a dead certain everything, and that was the moment to show you what you're worth, you know. And ultimately, I only got fifty fifteen minutes. When you realise you had a, you know, you had that ankle um injury that you did, and the concussion that you picked up in that game, you know, so now I look bitterly disappointment, you know, um, especially because um like I mentioned, you you sort of felt something special brewing in this group, you know, and what they we're going for, you know, and um just to have missed out on that, you know, was uh, was a bit demoralizing at the time, you know. But uh yeah, you know, look, um time heals all wounds and it's uh probably a scar that we'll always be carrying with me, you know. But uh you know what? Um at the end of the day the boys did it, you know, and the country was in great jubilation and how could you not celebrate that? I mean, um, from where we started and how we ended, you know, it was just special you know, seeing the boys lift the cup there as well. Mates like Ian uh, and Peter Stev playing beautiful rugby and just playing big parts in that World Cup, you know, just made you proud again as well, you know. So, you know, you kind of sit down after the time. You say, okay, well, what's your goals now? What are you going to chase now, you know? So, yeah, it looks like the Lions are on the horizon, you know. So, it will be phenomenal to get an opportunity today. But uh, and rugby, it doesn't work that way, you know. It's not scripted, you know. You have to work hard. You have to be consistent in your performance and you have to work for if you want to achieve success, you know, and I think that is the biggest thing focusing now.
1: If there's ever a man who deserves a bit of luck, it's going to be you leading into that Lions tour, so we'll all be, uh, we'll all be supporting and You're, you You're my that, teammate,
0: but... you have to say that. <laughs> I'm not your teammate and I hope you make the Lions tour.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Marcel, unfortunately there's been quite a, South African rugby has got dogged with doping scandals in the past few months, years. Um, unfortunately, um Ralepele and Deante have got eight and four year bands is this a problem that's prevalent in south african rugby or is it is it trying to be stamped out
0: yeah th- those are very unfortunate um instances that happened you know you know i mean for me playing in South Africa there was always structures and systems to avoid doping where we can you know like um they really were even at school level where i played they brought in uh, systems and uh you know um people that talk about it and say listen um this is not necessary you know there's so a lot of other things that you can do instead of this you know so no 100 percent, it's really a case at the moment you know we we're south really priding itself on we want to we want to stop where we can you know and it's just so unfortunate that um, sometimes it does go the other way you know
1: yeah, that's good to hear. And like, Marcel, for someone that, you know, is as, as strong and powerful as yourself, like to, to some of our younger listeners who are, you know, um, have the ambition of playing professionally or trying to put on weight or get more powerful or get stronger, you know, what, what kind of advice would you have for them?
0: No, oh, well, you know, definitely don't resolve to that, you know, just, um, I think long term, you just, it's not good for your body, you know, if you do your studies on it and stuff, you know, it's not necessary, you know, you've got so many, um, good stuff out there, you know, know, the training equipment and uh, good diet plans and stuff, you know, that will help you achieve your goals, you know, and uh, I just think that's probably the worst thing you could do as a youngster, you know, you, you know, you only have one body, you know, and you have to look after it um, as best you can and don't um, poison it with stuff like that, you know, you can just see how it affects a lot of people. And um, now for me, for my personal view, stay away, you know, it's not always, the short steps that you need to take in order to be a rugby player, you know, it's, you have to go the long yards, you know, and that is where they're working twice as hard as your opponent and they're just um, having a high work ethic and just being disciplined yourself, you know, so no, stuff like that is definitely not needed in the sport now.
1: Spot on.
2: I know when I was playing sevens with Ireland, um, we got tested very rigorously. It happens in 15s, but not as regular, rigorously just due to the sevens being an Olympic sport and being involved with in Sport Ireland and all that, but we had to do a whereabouts when we were you know in, in camp or when we were not there and we basically had to give an hour where we would be free um, where they would know our whereabouts every single day and every single weekend if I was going home to clear I'd always have to let them know etc is that this the case for you guys as professionals as well
1: yeah it's been slightly different for me in um, in the sense when I was playing in, in in Ireland or playing in France or playing in the UK the testing has been slightly different so um, in in, in the UK, for example, they do hair testing. So every, I think it's every two or three months they come in and, and maybe half the squad get a sample of their hair taken. And that's really for recreational drugs. So like cocaine, marijuana, those kind of things that can show up in a hair sample. Um, now, if you've tested positive, you wouldn't actually get a ban. It would be dealt with in-house. Um, I think you get a fine and the club deals with it internally, it's not seen as a, you know, performance enhancing drug. But I think the testing that, that we go through throughout a season, you know, if, if the testers come in on a, on a Monday morning, that's technically an out of competition test. Um, they're really looking for p- performance enhancing um, drugs in your system. It's not recreational. Whereas if you get tested after a game, uh, they're looking for everything, both recreational and uh, performance enhancing. So there are, um, some intricacy, in, intricacies within the, the the testing, but I think we like we've seen. I, I I know that the testers have been in Ulster the last last few weeks. You know, they've, I think they've been in three or four times. It is very rigorous, and you know, I think you'd, you 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 um, catch wind of, of of anything untoward going on. And it, luckily, it's it's not something that I've seen throughout my career of of, of players taking you know performance enhancing drugs. So you know and, and I think it'd be very, very hard to get away with it now, the way, th- the way the testing is.
2: I agree, and I think as well it's um it's not just performance enhancing drugs like it's something as simple as you know the like a um, a protein that shake that's not batch tested like we have to as athletes it could be Nurofen Plus like Nurofen Plus in competition is you would fail am I right in saying that there's some ones that aren't necessarily yeah. you know performance pseudofed. enhancing
1: pseudoephedrine is another one yeah like effect pseudo, because pseudoephedrine isn't allowed in competition yeah and it, it is easily it, you know obviously we're all advised on it but you could easily make a mistake by buying something over the counter and in a pharmacy, and think, oh, I've bought it over the counter. There won't be any issue with this. Um, so, yeah, for for you know, for any young players coming coming through, always consult your doctor and and, and make sure that that you're you know abiding by all the rules because it'd be terrible for something like that to trip you up when you're you know you're starting off your career.
2: Absolutely. Marcel, it's time for the House of Rugby Challenge. So earlier on, we asked you to bring in three items or show us three items, and hopefully there's a nice story behind each one of those items. So the first one was a a piece of rugby memorabilia. The second was a jersey that you have swapped and held on to. And the third was something non-rugby that you treasure. So I'm really looking forward to these stories. So the first one, a piece of rugby memorabilia. What is it and what's the story behind it?
0: (laughs) Well, I think at the time, um, you know, you were you were about to embark on your professional rugby career. And um, my mate um, used to train at a training facility where PSPs used to train, you know. And he knew I was a big uh, PSPs fan, you know. And uh, he sort of managed to get like a Springbok jersey signed for me from PSPs just as I was about, about to embark on the Sharks game. And when he surprised me that for Christmas, ironically enough, um, you know, I just got this. And I was thinking to myself, wow, I mean, this was so... So cool, you know, and um, on the jersey, he wrote like a verse from the Bible, one of my favorite verses, you know, um, that uh, your best is yet to come, you know. And that was just before me embarking on my professional career. So that was just something to hold on to and just remember when to go and get stuff, you know, words from a wise man, you know. so
2: It's crazy to think the impact that somebody like a player can have on someone so young. Like, Ian, have you ever been inspired by somebody or like met your heroes or like who has like who did you look up to as a young leinster player
1: um yeah i actually funny enough uh, remember raj coming in when i was in first year in school so i'd say he would have been maybe mid to late 20s i was about 12 so he uh, he came in i think it was part of some brand ambassador he was doing with maybe Esso or topaz one of those but he came in he spoke to us he was absolutely brilliant and I remember getting his his autograph and just absolutely cherishing it and thinking this is the best thing ever. Um, another one was actually Andrew Trimble, from, from who uh, Marcel would have, would have played with in, in Ulster. He came in and spoke to us when I was in fourth year in school, so a small bit more mature. So it would have been about 15, and he came in, and he, he'd just gone professional then. He was probably about 20 or 21, and he actually spoke, spoke about his faith. He's, you know... Um, a very religious man, and um, you know his kind of work ethic, and 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 how hard he, he, you know, he he's worked to get to where he is. And he, you know, I I remember touring with him a few years later, and and saying, oh, you probably don't remember this, but you might have, you know, you came in and you spoke to our year, and you actually had a, a massive impact. And it was something that he probably didn't think a whole lot of the time, but to give him the feedback and for him to see that he'd left a big impact on us, you know, probably meant a lot to him. So now, look, it's 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 definitely something that you know, we're all aware of as players, you know, the, the impact we can have on, on younger kids coming through. And, yeah, you know, I think it's a part of it that we really enjoy and, and we're very privileged to be able to, you know, reach out to people and help out where we can.
2: Absolutely. Marcel, a jersey that you have swapped and held on to, which one is that?
0: I think the one that um, kind of sticks out for me, you know, as um, in 2012, we played Ireland at the, the Viva Stadium and there was a uh, Irish player making his debut at the time there, you know. And uh, and I must say, when he first came on and I kind of watched him across me over the scrum there, and I was just thinking, there's no way this guy can be a rugby player, you know. He just doesn't look the part for me. <laughs> and ultimately, how at time I was proven so wrong because afterwards the player gave me his jersey and we swapped jerseys afterwards and we just managed to chat a little bit. Without knowing a few years later, it will be Ian Ennison being my ca- um, captain, you know, yeah, at Ulster, you know, at <laughs> the British oh, Irish right. line, you know, so, you know, how wrong was I well, in that case, you know, so, uh, no, look, um, yes, you know, it just may- it shows you don't judge a book by cover at all, you know, and he just managed to grow into one of the um, best players, you know, um, we have here at the club and in Ireland, you know, and uh, yeah, it's just phenomenal being captain with him as well, his leadership quality shows, and uh, I think we miss that actually at the moment as well, just that calmness and experience that he brings, you know. So, yeah, I think that is a story that will really stick out with me without knowing that we would be teammates one day or where the road might lead us and ultimately lead to Ulster and us. And we're just laughing about the story now. That's a really nice
2: story. It's like almost... Ian and yourself planted it so that it would be told as a good story in the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: Was that it? Did you think did I that... did talk to him
0: at all this morning. No,
2: no. <laughs> <laughs> did you... Did that... Was that an element when you were making a decision to come to Ulster knowing that, you know, Ian Henderson was there or did you even think twice about that when, you know, you thought about his jersey that you had swapped or did you even notice...
0: No, no, to be honest, no. Like, how talks came to came was uh, Ruan Pino was here at the time, you know, and he just always spoke about how he loved the club and, you know, how they'd look after. It's players, you know, and uh, he just he just loved every minute here, you know, and kinda, you kind of caught on that feeling, listen, this could be a really special place to expand your horizons and just show your um, talent as a player, you know. And uh, when you came over and you saw the likes of, you know, Rory Best here at the time, uh, Andrew Trimble, Tommy Bow, Ian Anderson, all those names, that I can I can mention a couple of names, you know. It just showed you what quality we had, you know, and um, still have, and just, you know, what 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 the union means to a lot of players, and and to be able to call some of them my friends now, where I've never thought possible, um, starting off early in my career, you know. So it's just phenomenal to have guys like Ian as well to call them friends now, you know. So
2: (laughs) very good. He's delighted with that mention. Yeah, chuffed. (laughs) Well, a few weeks ago, Marcel, we had. Ian was chatting about you, and his eyes just like lit up. He was just so happy to talk about you. So it's obviously mutual. So it's a good thing. Marcel, what? My boy,
1: blue.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Marcel, what about something non-rugby that you treasure?
0: Uh definitely, Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I, I've got a guest house there uh, close to the Kruger National Park there. You know, um, I'm a huge huge bush, um, junkie, if you can call it that, you know, and I just love being with the wildlife and the animals. And, uh, you know, I think, um, every time when, um, you know, the rugby gets too much, or you just need that break away from rugby just to get your mental edge back or, you know, just do a restart button. That would always be my go-to, you know, and, uh, it's, um, it's, uh, I think if, if you have to draw a map, it's like four and a half hours away from, uh, Johannesburg airport, you know, and, uh, you know, yeah, just the scenery around it, you know, so, Relaxing and easing, you know, if you're having a bride with your mates or with your family and you hear lions roaring across the river or you Go into safari and you see elephants just walking there, you know, and see wild dogs Yeah, no, like um, I can talk the whole day about this particular one, you know, but um keep it short But uh, yeah, just ultimately a big bush fanatic and I uh, just want to enjoy the pleasures it always give me and uh, that definitely be my, my precious um, other than my wife has all in
2: there, should very good. Um, that sounds amazing. Like what? Giraffes, elephants, wild animals like walking around. Is it is it a, a slightly scary though at the same time, or is it just normal to you?
0: no you sort of get used to it after a while i remember making a video for the boys um in lockdown you know about my surroundings and now uh, well, i was caught up in four months there in lockdown at my guest house and it was so surreal when you wake up in the morning you still had to train and when you would jog down all of a sudden uh, a wildebeest is chasing you or like a giraffe is just staring at you and yeah it was just a different element to it you know and um Just soak that in every day, you know, and uh, it was actually so enjoyable, you know, at the time, you know, and uh, no, that's definitely my retreat, you know, it was installed for me since I was very young with my father and my mother, they just loved it, you know, we just constantly went on holidays there together. And, you know, um, God just blessed me with that guest house to which I could um, renovate now and give people also that experience now coming over, you know. Um, you know, um, uh, It's called Into the Pride, you know, on Instagram if you want to follow it and stuff. You know, it's just videos where you share memories, you know, and the animals get so used to people living around there, you know. You can feed them um, pellets out of your hands, you know, and it's just so unique being with nature, you know. And um, I think as Ian will know, I'm a big um, f- nature fan, you know, and um, that's just my ultimate getaway.
2: Well, Skalka's invited us over incredible. to his house, and now we're going to have to tour your place as well. Like so two places in South Africa that we plan on visiting whenever we get there. Um, Rent well, <laughs> <absolutely>. free. <laughs> anyway, Marcel, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here today. Um, we'll have to get you back on again so you can tell us more about your your house in the bush. But um, he, really, really huge thank you for having us on. It was for having you on. It was an absolute pleasure to chat to you here today.
0: No, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for the honour and the time, man. You know, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, no, any time, man.
1: Yeah, thanks a million, Mars. It's been brilliant.
2: A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony, and everyone that helped getting this show together today. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe, together with Guinness. Slán go
1: House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe, together with Guinness. Game Changed.